0: This is the second day of this November 2019 7-day session. Yesterday we read uh, some biographical material about the uh, 12th century Korean Zen master Chinul and uh, today we'll take up his his teachings themselves. We're reading from the book, The Collected Works of Chinu, uh, translated by Robert Buswell. Uh, I've been pronouncing it Chinu, uh, and then uh, I found another book uh, about him um, it pronoun- that spells it uh, with a J instead of a CH. J-I-N-U-L. So, I don't know how it's pronounced, but uh, let's sort of soften that a little bit now. Let's make it uh, Chinul. And this is a chapter uh, about a third of the way into the book called Straight Talk on the True Mind. And in the introduction says that this straight talk on the true mind is probably Chinul's most accessible exposition of the Zen meditation techniques practiced in his era. Most accessible because uh, there's some pretty demanding material elsewhere in this book. Uh, pretty uh, dense, uh, conceptually dense material. Uh, there's just so much in it. And uh, that some is, seem easier to, uh, understand and, and, uh, read from than, than others. And this is one of the easier ones. This, uh, text, Straight Talk on the True Mind, uh, was lost in Korea during the Mongol invasions and then uh, was reintroduced into Korea in the 15th century. And he begins, In the Avatamska Sutra, it is stated, Faith is the fountainhead of the path and the mother of all meritorious qualities. It nourishes all good roots. And then Chinil says, Moreover, The the consciousness-only texts say, Faith is like a water-purifying gem which can purify cloudy water. And Chino himself says, It is clear that faith takes the lead in the development of the myriads of wholesome qualities. For this reason, Buddhist sutras always begin with, Thus have I heard. An expression intended to arouse faith. I think uh, he makes a very strong, strong point here that uh, if you had to single out one thing that is needed to go far in this practice, it is faith. Not faith in a supreme being. Not faith in uh, a doctrine a dogma uh, that is immutable, not faith in uh, supernatural phenomena, but in what then faith in what well there are a couple of ways of answering that one is faith that there is something. Beyond what we can grasp with our ordinary mind, with our with our ordinary discriminating mind, there's some something something beyond uh, what we can see, hear, smell, taste, touch, and and think about. Something beyond the thinking mind would be another way of putting it. It came to be called true nature, essential mind, Buddha nature, original nature, original mind. He gets to this a little bit later. These uh, all these different names for that which is uh, beyond anything that that it, that in, in encompasses everything. in a In a very practical nuts and bolts way uh, faith we have to have faith in the method as a way of realizing this something that is beyond the reach of the discriminating mind, the method of Zazen. Not just sitting, but then extending that mind of stabilized awareness that we are cultivating while we're sitting, extending it into our daily lives. Everyone here certainly has faith in the method, otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Some kind of faith in it, faith that it will, it will at least uh, change you but i i I think that that everyone also has some faith in this true nature, uh even though it may not be conscious. You could say, well, is that really faith if it 's not conscious but it's it's um it's reaching aspiring to realize what we can't understand with our ordinary mind. Uh, people, beginners, sometimes say, is, is a Zen a religion? Well, no, not in the ordinary, dualistic, Western sense of, of religion. Uh, but certainly, it does require faith. Uh, to go far in uh, Zen practice. Again, from the Avatamska Sutra, faith is the fountainhead of the path. It nourishes all good roots. Because all we have to really do is keep at this practice. And that's where the faith comes in. Faith, when we are beset by doubts or discouragement, pain, other other obstacles faith if we just press on if we just um, persist in our efforts that it will lead to this purification and it leads to the whole thing getting a little less difficult if we can just persevere Question This uh this segment this section of the book is set up in the form of questions and answers. It's it's um, clearly it was uh just the the structure that uh Chinu or, or his disciples chose um, because it's it's like big softballs being thrown to Chinu. Question What difference is there between faith and in the patriarchal Zen and the scholastic sects, now, not that we need to uh, introduce new concepts to, to mess with our minds, but but there are some good points he makes here. And in this case, distinguishing between so-called patriarchal Zen and uh, the scholastic sects, Chinul. There are many differences. The scholastic sects encourage Faith in the law of karmic cause and effect. Or just cause and effect. Those who desire the pleasures which come from merit must have faith that the ten wholesome actions are the sublime cause and the human or deva rebirth is the pleasurable result. So he's... he's, this apparently is what, uh, in more, I think in Asia more than here, uh, motivates people that they've got this. Okay, if I do this, then I'll get that. It's uh, it's uh, the instrumental value of of practice. He continues: those who feel drawn to the void calmness of nirvana must have faith that its primary cause is the is the understanding of the cause and conditions of arising and ceasing, and that its holy fruition, that is the effect, is the understanding of the four noble truths. Those who would delight in the fruition of Buddhahood should have faith that the practice of the six paramitas over three asampyake kalpas is its major cause and bodhi, and nirvana are its right fruition. So this is uh, this is a certain certainly a valid level of spirituality um, that uh, that we if we have faith that we can accomplish such and such by doing such and such that is cause and effect uh, then that it will. But then he says he distinguishes that from what he calls the patriarchal sect. So the first one was the more scholastic Buddhist faith. And here is the Zen faith. Uh, he says here, it does not believe in conditioned causes or effects. Rather, it stresses faith that everyone's, everyone is originally a Buddha that everyone possesses the impeccable self-nature and that the sublime essence of nirvana is complete in everyone. There is no need to search elsewhere. Since time immemorial, it has been innate in everyone. So this is a wholly different kind of faith. Faith that that there is nothing to... uh, Nothing... To attain that we don't already have, which is just another way of saying there's nothing to attain. It's all here, now. There's no future state that we have to reach, no enlightenment that we don't already embody. And he quotes the the third ancestor, Sang San, from the Affirming Faith and Mind. Mind is full like all of space, without deficiency or excess. It is due mostly to grasping and rejecting that it is not so now. It is our very delusion that we are incomplete, that we have something uh, to get, that is the very problem. It's that delusion. The uh, six paramitas here, he says, uh, in, in terms of uh, scholastic uh, Buddhism, uh, that the practice of the six paramitas over immeasurable time uh, is the cause, and uh, the effect is bodhi, wisdom, and nirvana. The six paramitas, for those of you who, like me, have not memorized them, uh, are that uh, in, in in order, the first one is giving. That one I'm, I never forget. That one that's often considered the the principle, the 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 most important of the six paramitas is generosity or giving. And then, in order after that is morality, that is upright conduct. The third is forbearance or patience. The fourth is effort, uh, uh, vigor. The fifth is concentration, and the sixth is wisdom. These are the um, the qualities uh, that are perfected by uh, bodhisattva. Uh, and you, in a sense, you could say we're all bodhisattvas. We're all on the path, and so just uh, persevering at this this practice uh, is a way of developing these six paramitas. And and let me just also say that the most important one, the Dana or giving, uh, this is this is what we are this is what we are manifesting in the purest form of zazen. It is a, it is a giving. It's a giving up of our ideas, our concepts, our opinions, our preferences. That's big giving. That's the, the uh, most generous giving. It's, it's renouncing these things. And, uh, and, and putting our mind completely into the practice, not holding back, not withholding, not begrudging. Chinnuo continues, once we have given rise to right faith, and by the way, it's not just a matter of uh, giving rise to it. Faith is something that uh, grows and grows Over time, through practice, many of us uh, have faith that uh, falters, that's uh, wobbly and uneven, sputters uh, earlier in practice, but then we discover, through persevering at this practice, uh, that it's true, it works, and that develops more faith. Faith grows. If we can just continue it long enough, then it continues growing. But then the problem is sometimes people lose faith. They don't uh, they they back off when confronted with some uh, obstructive karma and they don't see that they can get through that like fears. Uh, we may encounter fears in practice, especially in Sashin. Uh, if we if we just turn and run or uh, try to uh, somehow avoid what we're afraid of, then uh, we don't have the chance to see that there's there's no nothing there. Fear has no roots to it. There's no substance to it. And if we but if we were to press on, then we would see that fear too, like all phenomena, is has this this. Void nature to it is without any substance to it. This is why uh, we are so insistent that people not leave sashin uh, before uh, the time they've committed to. Some people, uh, in most sashins now, some people have to leave uh, uh, early, like in the middle of sashin, for for reasons of work or family, and uh, some people also have to arrive late. We still have another two or three people who have yet to arrive here. But as far as the leaving, uh, we we miss an opportunity if we turn and run from what we encounter because there's nothing to it. As painful as, say, a fear, as painful as it is, uh, there's nothing to it. And we're not going to find that out. We're not going to... Discover that for ourselves if we back off and flee. So important to commit and to follow through with this commitment, to see it through. And then, and then to do that, we can discover that we can get it behind us forever. That fear, that thing that has been chewing away at us our whole life, or for maybe for years, we, we find that there's nothing to it. Great opportunity. Now, Chinu continues, once we have given rise to right faith, we must add understanding to it. As Jung Ming said, To have faith but no understanding increases ignorance. To have understanding but no faith increases wrong views. Let's break that down a little bit. To have faith but no understanding increases ignorance. Well, we know there are uh, cults um, where uh, people may have blind faith. Uh, based on mis- misplaced faith and uh, and he can just get deeper and deeper into their ignorance. Uh, to have understanding when no faith increases wrong views, I think here it's not quite clear to me what he means by understanding, but uh, to to think you have your own understanding that you know, uh, but without faith. In the Dharma, let's say, uh, just strengthens your wrong views, your wrong opinions. And he says, consequently, we know that once faith and understanding are merged, entrance onto the path will be swift. Enormous amount of damage has been done in this world throughout history by blind faith, uh, especially in the realm of religion or politics. Here again, the uh, Chinul re- returns to this comparison of of uh, Zen and the scholastic. Uh, or, or no, here it's a little different. Question: We now know what true mind means in the teachings of the Buddha, but what about the teachings of the patriarchs? I skipped a, a long paragraph um, that uh, is more or less repeated as we went on. We go on. So, that's where we're going now. So, the uh, what what is the meaning of true mind uh, in Zen? Chinul says, in the, in the school of the patriarchs, let's say it's Zen, all names and words are severed. In other words, we don't, we don't want to be attached to names and words. Sometimes... <coughs> Sometimes true mind is referred to as oneself, for it is the original nature of sentient beings. Sometimes it is named the proper eye, E-Y-E, the proper eye, for it makes visible all phenomena. Um, When Buddhism went from India to, to China, and then later it went to Japan and Korea. But when it went from India to China, uh, the Chinese had to find concrete equivalents for the Indian preference for more conceptual terms. So in India, it was uh, enlightenment or supreme perfect enlightenment, anuttara samyak sambodhi, and the Chinese made it uh, the, the the true eye. Something, but basically the eye. Sometimes it is named the, the proper eye for it makes visible all phenomena. At other times it is called the sublime mind for it is empty yet numinous, calm yet radiant. Sometimes it is named the old master for it has been the supervisor since time immemorial. This was the device used by a Chinese master, Zui Gan, uh, who would ask, uh, um, or no, Basui, who would say, Who is the master? It's the same as, uh, uh, who, is, who, who am I? or What am I? Sometimes it is called the bottomless bowl. For it can survive anywhere. Sometimes it is called a stringless lute, for it is always in harmony. Notice that stringless—a lute without strings. In uh, in one of the koans, there's this term: uh, the the uh, holeless iron kang. Kang is uh, kind of a yoke. What could a yoke without a hole be? Sometimes it is called an inextinguishable lamp, for it illuminates and disperses delusion and passion. Sometimes it is called a rootless tree, for its roots and trunk are strong and firm. Sometimes it is referred to as a sword which splits a wind-blown hair for it severs the roots of the defilements. Sometimes it is called the unconditioned kingdom for the seas are calm there and the rivers clear. Sometimes it is named a wish-fulfilling gem for it benefits the poor and distressed. Sometimes it is called a boltless lock for it shuts the six sense doors. This again is, um, points to this guideline we have in Sashin of keeping the eyes down. In other forms of Buddhism, they, they talk more about uh, shutting the six sense doors, which uh, so easily lead us into thoughts, the six senses. It is also called a clay ox, a wooden horse, moon of the mind, and gem of the mind. It has such a variety of different names that I cannot record them all. It, again, referring to our true mind, our essential nature. He continues, If you penetrate to the true mind, you will fully comprehend all of these names. But if you remain dark to this true mind, all names are only a block. Consequently, you must be precise in your investigation of the true mind, and that is what we're doing when we are looking deeply and directly into a koan, and even when we're looking or absorbed in the breath, Chikantaza. but especially koans have this element of investigation questioning and then he continues with a question a questioner Uh, We have learned the names of the true mind, but what is its essence like? Chinu, he quotes a sutra. This is the Radiating Light Prajna Sutra. And here's what the sutra says. Prajna is entirely free of signs. It has no signs of arising or ceasing. Again, prajna means transcendental wisdom. And then Chindal says, in the awakening of faith, that's another famous Buddhist text, it is said, the essence, remember the question is about essence, the essence of true suchness itself neither increases nor decreases in any ordinary person or bodhisattva or Buddha. It did not arise in an earlier age and will not be annihilated in a later age. Ultimately, it is constant and eternal. Since the beginning, its nature has been utterly complete. Constant and eternal. Beyond time. Neither increases nor decreases. And begin at some point, and it won't be ending at a later time. A common analogy is the sky, the clear sky, the blue sky. Where's the where's the beginning to that, or the end to it? Where is the arising and the passing away? How can it increase? How can the blue sky increase or decrease? It's constant and eternal. That's that's the end of the uh, passage from this this the uh, text and then Chino continues According to this sutra and shastra shastra is a commentary on a sutra the original essence of the true mind transcends cause and effect it connects past and present and future by the way it does not distinguish between ordinary and holy It is free from all relativity. It pervades all places like the vastness of space. Its sublime essence is settled and calm. It transcends all conceptual proliferation. It neither arises nor ceases. It neither exists nor does not exist. It is unmoving and unshakable. It is still and constantly abiding. And he quotes another master, the mind is vacuous, empty, sublime, and exquisite. It is clear, brilliant, numinous, and bright. It neither comes nor goes, for it permeates the three time periods. It is neither within nor without, for it pervades the ten directions. It is uh, very difficult to conceive of this essence because no concept can describe it, can encompass it. It's beyond concepts, beyond conceptual mind. continues if we have faith in this we should realize that all the bodhisattvas of the three time periods past present and future are studying the same thing this mind all the buddhas of the three time periods have the same realization the realization of this mind the teachings elucidated in the tripitaka all elucidate this mind The delusion of all sentient beings is delusion in regard to the mind. The awakening of all practitioners is the awakening to this mind. The transmission of all of the ancestors is the transmission of this mind. The search in which all the monks of this world are engaged is the search for this mind. If we penetrate to this mind, everything is just the way it should be and every material object is fully illuminated. But if we are deluded in regard to this mind, every place is inverted and all thoughts are mad. This essence is not only the Buddha nature with which all sentient beings are innately endowed but also the basic source of creation of all worlds. When the world-honored one was momentarily silent at vulture peak, when Subhuti forgot all worlds below the cliff, when Bodhidharma sat in a small cell in wall contemplation, when Vimalakirti kept silent in Vaisali, all displayed the mimes the mind's sublime essence. Therefore, when we first enter the courtyard of the ancestor sect, Zen, we must understand the essence of this mind. Uh, back to this one one phrase here, when he says, if we penetrate to this mind, everything is just the way it should be. makes me think of uh, Banké, as Japanese Zen master Banke who often said all is resolved in the unborn and then after after now addressing the essence of this true mind the question is uh, what about what is meant by the its sublime functioning? Essence and function are paired in uh, Buddhist teaching. Um, so here, what he says about functioning: Chindu, at all times in and in all activities, whether traveling eastward or westward, whether eating rice or putting on clothes. Whether lifting a spoon or handling chopsticks, whether looking left or glancing right, these are all manifestations of the sublime function of true mind. Ordinary people are deluded. When putting on clothes, they only understand that they're putting on clothes. When eating, they only understand that they are eating. In all their activities, they are deceived by appearances. Hence, they use the sublime function of the mind every day, but do not realize it. It is right before their eyes, but they are now aware of it. On the other hand, one who is conscious of true nature has no further misunderstandings in any of his actions. And then he quotes a patriarch, doesn't say who, In the womb, it is called a fetus. On being born, it is called a human. In the eye, it is vision. In the ears, it is hearing. In the nose, it is smelling. In the mouth, it is talking. In the hands, it is grasping. In the feet, it is running. When expanded, it contains all of the dharma datu of reality. When contracted, it exists within one minute particle of dust. Those who are aware of it know that it is the Buddha nature. Those who are not call it soul or spirit. There's a uh, a verse in the Mumonkan that reads, Lifting his leg, he kicks up the scented ocean. Lowering his head, he looks down on the four dhyana heavens. It's all the functioning of this true mind. That is, when the mind is free of thoughts. It is anyway, even if the mind is clogged with thoughts. But we can understand it as the functioning of this true mind when the mind is free of thoughts. ears, it is hearing this function of our true mind. Right now, in the ears, it is hearing. Doing, in, in doing prostrations, that's it. In bowing, hands palm to palm, that's it. And settling into our cushion, That's it, using the toilet, washing our hands, And then one more question here. The similarities and differences between the true mind's essence and function. Question. We are not yet clear about the essence and the function of the true mind. Are they the same or different? And then he repeats that the essence is unmoving. It is free of all relativity. The function is is uh, is responding and adapting to conditions and events I'm I'm just paraphrasing here a little bit to shorten this because the function and the essence the function has signs signs means uh, characteristics Uh, and the essence does not, they are not the same. Nevertheless, as the function is produced from the essence, the function is not separate from the essence. As the essence can give rise to the function, the essence is not separate from the function. Take water, for example. Its essence is moisture, or wetness, for this is the factor which is unalterable. But its waves are characterized by their alterability, for they build up because of the wind. Since the nature of water is unalterable, immutable, and the appearance of waves is alterable, they are not the same. Nevertheless, apart from the waves, there is no water, and apart from water, there are no waves. Like water and ice, without water, no ice. Outside us no Buddhas. To put it another way, it's just two sides of one coin. Two names for what really in reality are are inseparable. Not two. And yet, when we give them names, we use the word essence, we use the word function, then we can talk about them as distinct, but uh, no more so than uh, talking about a coin as having heads and tails. It's one coin. There's a koan in the Blue Cliff record, number 90, called Chimon. And the essence of prajna. This is not Chinul, but Chimon, a Chinese master. Uh, A monk asked Chimon, what is the essence of prajna? Chimon said, an oyster swallowing the bright moon. The monk said, what is the function of prajna? Chimon said, a hare, a rabbit. Conceiving by the full moon. These these two uh, answers of Chimon's are drawn from Chinese folk tales. What's the essence? An oyster swallowing the bright moon. What's the function? A hare conceiving by the full moon. Our time is up now. We'll stop and recite the four vows.
1: I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gaze beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I vow to attain.